We've been going through the book of Colossians, and it's interesting how we have a baby dedication today. And as I went through my text, as I studied it out during the week, how so much of it applies to Christian parents. So it's not just for our dedicated children and their families today. It's for every Christian home. Every Christian, that's every, everybody's going to have a Christian home. is going to raise children one day. The text is for that, but the text is mostly for Christians to understand what faith is. And we come to Colossians chapter 2. I will read verses 1 to 5. Chapter 2, 1 to 5. I will take a moment. Paul says to this church, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you or deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from above. We thank you for your word, Father God, that illuminates our minds, gives us understanding into this great mystery. The mystery of God is his son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh making atonement on the cross, being raised for our justification, living in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Father. We thank you, God, and we come before you, God, and we ask, Lord, that you breathe upon the text in this service, Father God, that we can somehow, with a little more faith and understanding, comprehend the mystery of God, Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I title this, The Good Shepherd. A subtitle would be The Marks of a Faithful Church, if I wanted to do that. The last time we were together, we saw how Paul suffered for the sake of this church, how he suffered for the sake of other people, how he suffered for people that were coming to Christ. He he suffered, he labored, he went through tribulations and travail on behalf of other people. He laid down his life to the point of death many times for other human beings. His life was not his own. He had a deep concern for the safety and the welfare, not just for Christians he knew, but for Christians he had no idea who they were. He never saw them before, but yet he suffered for them. He was concerned for them. And there's a reason. This is following in the footsteps of his Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffered in dying for the existence of the Christian church. And now Paul and others suffer to some extent for the continued growth and health of the church. Even up to today, 2,000 years, people are still suffering for the name of the Lord to make other Christians healthy Christians, to teach Christians and to encourage Christians and to give them an understanding of what it means to have the mystery of God, which is Jesus Christ. Who would think that God's mystery would bring suffering to people? But unfortunately, it does. Many times the suffering is just because of misunderstanding, and they don't understand the mystery. Paul was a man who beat down the Christian church, who persecuted the Christian church out of ignorance, of misunderstanding. 
But when he came to understand the full mystery of God, which is Christ, he laid down his life for this church. And that's where we are now. Our text picks up the same theme tonight with some some added benefits as we go through these verses. I want to start in verse 2. He struggled that their hearts would be encouraged. This Christian church would be encouraged. People he never saw face to face, but he struggled. He wanted them to be knit together in love and unity. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Even though Paul never saw this church, he never saw these Christians before, he loved them. He loved them as their own, as his own. He cared for them from a distance. Even though he never generally saw these people, he met them as a true shepherd of God. And he struggled and he labored for them. How? He, he wasn't there. As a matter of fact, he was 1,100 miles away in jail on his way to dying for the faith. He knew that he would probably never see them, but he still struggled. And we have to believe that his struggling took on the devotion of prayer. We never realized that prayer is struggling for the faith and the welfare of other people. Jesus did this in Gethsemane when he was betrayed that night right before he was crucified. He struggled in prayer and he prayed for those. And he prayed with loud cries and God heard him because of his piety. And he prayed such as this that the Christian church would be one and exemplify the love of the God, of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That they would love each other as we love one another, Jesus said. And Paul struggled. He labored in prayer and he toiled in prayer for this church he never saw before. That's true love. But he knew that even though it was impossible for him to ever go there physically and meet one physical need because he was imprisoned, he knew by faith God is never imprisoned. And that God can, if we ask and beseech, meet the needs of the people we could never, ever extend our hand to. But we can extend our hearts in genuine prayer to God on behalf of other people. Parents need to know this. There will come times in a parent's life, a Christian's parent's life, or any parent will know, even though your children are right there in front of you, they're in the room with you, it feels like you can do nothing for them. It feels like they're so far outside your reach of influence that you can't do anything. And it could look like it's hopeless, like you're imprisoned and you can't get to the situation. Like Paul was in prison, he couldn't get to the situation, but God can get to the situation. And Paul knew that and he was willing to struggle and travail in prayer on behalf of people he never saw or never meet. Because he knew God can meet those prayers. And Christian parents need to know that. As children grow up, sometimes we can feel like we, we can't meet them and we can't protect them. But we have to realize we need to struggle in prayer for our children. We need to lay down our life for prayer. Prayer is hard. It's not tangible. You can't see the evidence right away. 
And the Bible clearly teaches me that many times people have to wait decades before there's an answer to prayer. And in our culture, we don't like decades. We don't like days. We like instantaneous gratification. Doesn't work that way. Parents know that. And I want to hear, I'm here to tell you and encourage you that God cares. As a matter of fact, God cares more for your children than you do. You might find that hard to believe. But God actually cares more for your children and your grandchildren than we ever could. But he has other concerns too. His his concern was not just a, a general concern, but it was specific. And the first thing that he, he prays for is that they be encouraged. The word carries the definition in the Greek of being courageous. Not just encouraged, not just to get by, not just to make it through another day. This is a, a, a courageous heart. He prayed that they would be courageous and filled with gallantry to, to step up and face whatever the day throws at them. No matter how hard, no matter how difficult it is, they would be courageous to walk through every day with God. And to have a disposition to raise up other dispirited hearts that have been weighed down by life. If we're bold enough and courageous enough, if we look close enough, we will see many dispirited hearts in this world. Even behind some of the greatest smiles and some of the nervous laughter are some of the most dispirited human beings. They're they're struggling and suffering on the inside. Overwhelmed by life and by fear and by doubts and by future prospects. And they need comfort. They need hope. That's what the Christian church does. We walk through our daily life together. We don't isolate ourselves and our troubles from everybody else. We... Sometimes we wear our feelings on our sleeves and others know that we need help. Sometimes it is physical. Sometimes it is financial. Sometimes it's just spiritual and emotional. But we need that. Parents love to have high ambitions for their children. And we should. We should have high ambitions for our children. But parents must be able to meet their children at the lowest times of their lives. And they will have low times. They'll have failures. They'll be overwhelmed by not hitting the home run. They'll be overwhelmed by failing a test. They'll be overwhelmed by being rejected by a girl or a boy that first time. They'll be overwhelmed. They'll think, this is my life. It's all over. I got a pimple and I'm going to the prom. And you have to know how to walk with them and to comfort them and to nurture them and to care for them and to speak life to them and to encourage them at the low times of their life. That's parenting. Crisis of faith. Christian parents need to know how to walk through a crisis of faith with a child. Not quitting on the child. When a child goes through doubts, and goes to a grown-up life, and can look like they veered away from God for a moment, or a day, or a week. To us, it seems like forever, but not to God. Not to God. He's always working towards our obedience. He's always working towards our enjoying Him, 
That's the whole Christian faith. Enjoy God. Enjoy what he's done for us. Parents are to walk through and to encourage their children. Just like all Christians are called to walk through life with other Christians and anybody anywhere. It makes no difference to be encouraging community. That's what Paul is praying for. But he's praying for other things too. It says here that they be knit together in love. Love is the most clear characteristic of genuine Christianity. It's not sentimentalism. It is genuine care and compassion for other people. Whether they're Christians or not, it makes no difference. It's a genuine care. It's a genuine compassion. This is genuine Christianity. It's a true love for God. A true love for God always manifests itself in love towards others. And is ready to meet needs. Some can meet needs financially. Some can do it physically. Others can sit back and truly pray for other people that they don't even know as Paul did here. He was meeting the need spiritually, but so many people need emotional help. So many people need the need of emotional love to walk side by side with somebody who doesn't have that friend, who feels like they're isolated, who feels like they're alone, who feels like they're an orphan. It's bad enough that the world leaves people alone, but to come into a Christian community and feel alone is, it would break Christ's heart. It's also a quality of time. It's heart to heart. It's, it's a conversation where you genuinely listen to what the other person is saying. No distractions. To really hear with sympathetic ears and an empathetic heart of what someone else is going through in their life. To be quick to hear and slow to speak. This is the kind of love that God calls Christians to. This is the Christian community. If love dies, the church dies. And I speak to Christian parents. I speak to the two young couples tonight. If love in the home dies, the family unit dies. It dies. Love between a husband and a wife is something to be nurtured and something to grow. Love is either growing or it's dying. It's not stagnant. It has to move forward. It could look like it's standing still, but if it's not moving forward, then it is moving backwards. And that's a horrible place for a child to grow up in. That's why we have to pray for one another and care for one another and struggle and labor in prayer that love remains in the home. Because Jesus warned us that the day was going to come that the love of many would grow cold. This is the world we live in. Love is here today. It's, it's gone tomorrow. It's fleeting. It's the flavor of the day. If it works, go for it. If not, no big deal. In the interim, there's children involved. There is this big deal. My charge before the parents tonight is never let love die. Never let love die. Never let any distraction, Lewis, Brian, ever get in the way between you and your wife. And for all the rest of us too, never let anything destroy love. He goes on though. To reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Most people are lost right now. Just from those words. 
to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is simply a person. The whole mystery of God is summed up in one person, Jesus Christ. That's it. I don't have to go anywhere else. I don't have to go to the Himalayas. I don't have to go anywhere. I go to Christ. In Christ are hidden all the treasures and the wisdom and knowledge of God. This can be and is one of the in one of those verses that if we're not careful and we don't take time to understand it, uh, it will go over our heads and we'll we'll lose enjoying the meaning. And let me give you the meaning. Paul, along with Jesus and the other apostles, saw the world as a platform of competing ideas. Who is God? Who are we? What's life all about? What's the purpose and the meaning of his existence? What is a morality? Does it matter? Is there a heaven? Is there an afterlife? And if there is, who goes? And if there is, what is it like? Does God forgive? And if so, how? Who has the right religion? How can we know? Are they all the same? Most of all, should I even care? To some, this might sound like it's just a little too much and doesn't really matter, but history and our own personal history and even contemporary times show us that humanity is still in this very fight over certain ideas that shape society for the better or for the worst. Many of these are spiritual, many are moral. But we live in a world of competing ideas. And Paul wanted these believers to have a firm footing in a world filled with false religions, immoralities, dead ends, empty traditions, vague ceremonies. And Paul wanted them to have what he calls here the full assurance of understanding. Not just to say, I believe. We believe in Jesus, but do we understand Christ? Do we understand God's mystery and the great assurance that it brings to the heart in a world of chaos? Do we have assurance? I ask tonight, do you have assurance? Do you have assurance of tomorrow? Do you have assurance in a world filled with uncertainties where no one knows what tomorrow brings? Can you have assurance? Can you have hope? Can you go to bed with peace in your heart? Can you wake up at 2 and 3 or 4 in the morning and say, Wow, praise God, the world's falling apart, but I have the full assurance. That's what Paul wants for us. The full assurance of understanding. This means that they would know that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt what their life is all about. A life of hope and peace and joy, safety that naturally flows out of this full assurance of understanding of the mystery of God, which is Christ. This full understanding is not some profound understanding of life sciences and though education is wonderful, please understand that. But it is first and foremost to understand that there's a God and that he is real. What he's all about and that he met him. He, he bring himself and he met us in the person of his son Christ. To understand God, we have to understand his mystery. 
Otherwise, it's guessology. It's, it's guessing. It's, you, 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 you're guessing. It's like trying to shoot out uh, a plane with a, uh, a spitball. You know? you're, you're guessing at it. That's what people go through life with guessology. They, have, they, they know there's a God. They think there's a God, but they know nothing about God nor his mystery. So they have no hope of the full understanding and assurance. They're groping around in the darkness. But we don't grope around. We know the mystery of God is Jesus Christ himself. The God-man, the friend of sinners, the savior of the world, the perfect image of the invisible God. To see God, to see me, Jesus said, is to see the Father. For me and the Father are one. And in this Jesus that Paul preached is hidden all the wisdom and the knowledge and the treasure of God personally. When we know that, this should be the, naturally the greatest subject to the human heart. Christian theology for many years was called the queen of the sciences. You couldn't get a degree up until the late 1800s without taking Christian theology. The queen of the sciences. It was mandatory to study. They taught Christ. But this wisdom and knowledge is not just information about the divine being and his will and his son, but it's a clear understanding of who he is, what his will is for man, what life is all about, what's its purpose. And that his creation who have sinned against him can be saved through grace because God came to seek us out. That's the mystery. It's not just about Jesus. Jesus came to seek us out and to give himself a ransom for us. This is the mystery. That God loved us so much that what? He gave us his only begotten son that whoever believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Because this life is short, it's fleeting, but eternity is not. And that's why we have full assurance. That's why we have hope and we have joy. Our joy and our hope is not based on anything this world can give. It's based on everything God gave us. And whatever God gives, the world can't steal. Can't steal and it doesn't fade away. It's a promise and God is not a man that he would ever lie. Knowledge is the apprehension of truth, which flows from God's very own nature. Spiritual truth, the spiritual truth of the divine and the human relationship. Moral truth, that God's a moral God and called us to be moral creatures. Wisdom is the application of this truth to one's personal life. Knowledge is prudent judgment. Wisdom is prudent action. Both are found in Jesus Christ and nowhere else at all. This is the mystery of God. That Paul wants these converts and us today to have the full assurance that comes with it. He calls it the riches of full insurance. You see the riches on people's faces. You see Christians go through challenging times and they got this grin. There's tears, they feel the pain, 
But there's something in there that cannot be stolen. There's a joy and a hope that circumstance, time, and Satan himself cannot steal. It's found in Christ. So in a culture of competing ideas about God, in a culture of competing ideas about morality, in a culture of competing ideas of what life is all about and the existence of life, the Christian can be sure that there's always a Savior who sticks closer than a brother. He's here. He's watching. He's listening. He's helping. In all life's circumstances, he's always there to help us make the right choice so that we do not go astray. And if we go astray, the answer remains the same. Grace is the means that saves someone, and grace is the means that we remain saved and in God's favor. You can never earn it. You can never work for it. Because we don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. It's grace. It's a gift. Not a paycheck. And the last thing Paul said in verse 4. I say all this, he says, in order that no one may delude you with plausible or deceptive empty arguments. Paul, like Jesus before him, was a good shepherd who was concerned for the spiritual and moral welfare of the sheep. God's children. And knows that there will always be charlatans out there. Masquerading as wolves in sheep's clothing. Trying to willingly deceive God's children on spiritual and moral issues. Trying to change the biblical norms to fit their own feelings. To fit their own desires and their own passions. Saying that men are eternally saved by their good deeds. And never mentioning that God sees and records all the evil ones. Or trying to deceive and saying there's no such thing as absolute moral truth. Morality is an evolutionary thing. It changes from times to times. You make it what you want. It's another flavor of the day. Give me anything. I'll take anything. The moral thing is anything goes. Absolute moral truth in this world is an enemy. It's got to evolve. So everybody's comfortable. It's the world we live in. This is the competing ideas we fight against every day. This was Paul's struggle. This is why he prayed so earnestly to God for them. And he took the time to teach them. That no one may deceive them. Because they're charlatans out to deceive the children of God. Just like they're charlatans out to deceive the children that are dedicated today. Parents like pastors need to pray to God on behalf of their children. Always. Parents like pastors need to encourage them. In their little lives now. And to walk through these little bitty lives from the womb all the way to the end. To walk through every day with them and to encourage them in life. To make sure that their life has been knitted together in love. A home of emotional, spiritual, physical affirmation and quality of time. That's a pastor's job. That's a Christian's community's job. That's parents' jobs. That they are taught at home concerning God and the mystery of God, which is Christ. 
the Redeemer. And that God is a moral God. And it's the parents as well as the pastor's job to watch over their little flock at home, because that's what they are. They're a little flock. To make sure that no one's deceived them. Pastoring, or I should say parenting, is a full-time job. There's a difference between being a parent and being a mother or being a father. Parents roll up their sleeves and get involved in their children's lives for their spiritual, emotional, physical, and moral well-being. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, always encouraging, always enlightening, always strengthening, always challenging, God. I thank you for always challenging your children, Father, God. It's in the challenge that we're changed. It's in the challenge that we're strengthened. It's in the challenge we see our need of you daily, every day in prayer, God. We see it, Father, God. How can we live in this world and live for you, Father, God, with so many competing ideas of who you are, who Jesus is, what's right, what's wrong, Father, God. We live in an amoral society, Father, God, that says that anything is right as long as it makes you feel good. But no, God, this is not who you are. This is not how you taught us, Father. So, Father God, give us strength. Give us strength to make it in this world, Father God. Give us the riches of full assurance, Father God, that comes from proper understanding of your great mystery. Teach us your son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.